What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and I'm being joined by my story companion. Uh, it's story time. We're sitting comfortably, and I'm being joined by Tony Farina. How you doing, Tony? I'm very well. I'm, I, these are, listen, these story times... I'm so glad. I get every time I get super excited. It's like, ah. and and you know, I'm always running to something else because I've got like meetings and work and real real life. Because I'm always doing this in the middle of my day, but it's like such a highlight to do these and to be like, ah, and just to revisit these things that we love and through this perspective. So I'm super excited about today because one of my all time favorite films. Um, so yeah. I didn't. I didn't know this was based on. I love. I love this film, and I didn't know. But I didn't know it was based on. A story was it a book it's a very short story um but yeah no this was fascinating this was really cool it is one of my favorite films I'm, you know we're doing they live um starring hot rod rowdy roddy piper who i've got like a lot to say about um keith david the amazing keith david um um evil lynn who <laughs> that's the only thing the role i know um Cross the names for me. I know it were from, and a whole host of other people. Well, not that many people. But... You, she's from the Masters of the Universe. Masters of the film as Evil yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the only thing I yeah, knew yeah. as a kid. And then yeah, when I well, the film, I'm like, oh, the eyes. Are... Yeah, oh god. Yeah, amazing. Those are not. That's what she looks like. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, yeah. And, and and directed by, I'm coming to very sort of solid conclusion. My possibly favorite director, John Carpenter. Um, I mean, you would not be. I mean. He's got to be a short list for me too. Yeah. He's exceptional. Yeah, yeah. This work throughout the eighties and nineties is is so good. Um, but it's based on a nineteen sixty three very short story by Ray Nelson called Eight O'clock in the Morning. And eight, this story reads like a pitch for a violent Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> <laughs> it really does, doesn't it? Wow. Yeah. Um. I loved it. I thought it was great. I thought it was a really cool story. But um, yeah, I was like, yeah, I can imagine like Rod Serling reading this and being going, like, "Not for us." <laughs> on yeah, this sorry, one. <laughs> that's even the outer limits is going to pass on that one, pal. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, but well, let's start as we do. We start with the story, um, yes. and we will work to the film. So the story follows um, our main character George Nada. The name I'll see Nada carries on who is a hypnotist show and during the hypnotist show is told to awake yes and when and that results in him not just waking from his hypnosis but waking into a different level of consciousness and as he leaves the performance he's noticed these lizard people in the audience and then out of that and he sort of hides it to himself uh and he's obviously using this to try to determine what's going on eventually um he well, firstly, he sees similar things, you know, the obey, the work, all that kind of things. But more than anything, um, he ends up killing one of these lizard people and then decides to just go on a murdering rampage and kill them all. Um, however, it's he is, I'm assuming, found out, which we'll get to, 
And he receives a phone call from the lizard people saying, basically sort of like, calm down, stop me doing, you're going to be dead from a heart attack at eight o'clock in the morning. Uh, the story then sort of, he sort of takes it and says, well, no, I'm not going to do that because I'm not, I'm awake now. I'm not going to follow your instructions. Goes to check on his girlfriend, make sure she's not a lizard person um, and kills more. And then eventually he gets to, a, gets to the TV session. He realizes that it's the TV projecting out, much like in the film, um, breaks the control. Um, and it says the final line. I, I do want to just read the final bit. Um so, um, because they're called the Fascinators, that's what I like, yeah. The Fascinators, uh, was, what a great name! I, yeah. I, I, I'm disappointed that didn't carry over. Mm. Um, it was George's voice the city heard that morning, but it was the Fascinators' image, and the city did awake for the very first time, and the war began. George did not live to see the victory that finally came, he died of a heart attack at exactly eight o'clock. The balls of Nelson. Yeah. I, again, like you said, it is a Twilight Zone episode because of that ending. Oh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. yeah. And honestly, the way it starts, too, it's very, and you know, my, my love of Kafka, but again, it's the same thing. It's like at the end of the show, the hypnotist told his subjects, awake, one sentence, the next sentence, one sentence paragraph, something unusual happened. That's yeah. it. Like you said, that's the pitch. That's the yeah. log line. That's it. Like you said, and he's like, you can imagine him in the elevator, like coked out of his mind. <laughs> Trying to tell somebody this story, and they're like, um, there's this guy, his name is George, George Nada. Do you get it? Because he's not a person. We're not really people. Yeah. <laughs> I could just love, I love, <sighs> it would be amazing. When I was, when you say that, because it's funny, when I was reading this, uh, have you ever seen Mad Men? I've not. I've not watched it. Okay. Yeah. I highly recommend Mad Men. Fantastic show. But it's obviously set during the 60s. And there's a character in that that keeps uh, the fact that he writes science fiction and has oh. them publishing things a secret. And I was reading this and I was like, this feels like the kind of story that like that and that would come out and stuff. So for that very reason, as you say, sort of like trying to pitch it and sort of going like, no, this is what the story is. This is what it's about. Yeah, because it's only five pages. And so it, yeah. that's it. it really is almost like, you know, I feel like, and I know he's a divisive storyteller but Shyamalan and I actually like the lady in the water a lot I know people hate mm. it but he did acknowledge that was a story he just used to make up for his kids to get them to go to bed yeah and so it started that way so it's like hey, that's why it's so weird and it changes because he would be like they'd be adding stuff and I always got to add in the what if a guy's only got a big arm he's got to write that into the you know because he's making it up so that story mm. very follows the oral tradition and this really feels like it's just a story that this Ray Nelson guy told one day like drunk at a bar or bouncing off the walls in the elevator and then it just turned into this because it is oh, yeah. not it is rat a tat tat it is not um the the writing isn't robust like no one would mistake ray nelson and neil gaiman for each other no no purple prose is not ray nelson's friend no <laughs> no but what storytelling exquisite oh uh, excellent yeah yeah but um oh, yeah well you said rat a tat tat is a really good description of this like it's it's I mean, this is an action story. Um, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. In, you know, and it really is that sort of like it's like a it's like a beat, like it's just sort of like then this mm. and this and this and because of this because like it's um it just rattles on, and um it, it but it but it, for five pages, and this because when I printed it off, I've got it in front of me and I was printing off. I thought that's it. Mm -hmm. All right, that feels weird because obviously I know the film, 
Yeah. But one of the things I felt with this story is like, I mean, it's not like a tense spy thriller, but as it progresses, like it gets kind of tense, like things, you know, when you know he's found out and you're like, oh, Christ, like, and it's weird in it, they don't they don't come for him. Mm-mm. He goes to them. Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, yeah. Right, right, right at them. But like um, the fact that they, um, this is one of my sort of favorite bits. So like you say, he gets spotted because he's like people on the street have noticed he's a bit, bit more indifferent or a bit weird, because he ends up seeing one and sort of one of these pe- these fascinators asked like got a light, he's just like I gave him a light, moved on, um, and he says about you know all these different bits and pieces and he he goes home and as you said there's the way it's sort of like boom 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 single line, it says uh, we are your friends you do anything for a friend wouldn't you, obey work that's off the TV, suddenly the phone rang. And that's it. Like he's like boom, yeah. boom, boom. Yeah. Um and well, it's it's these a... moments, and it's the intrusion of so it's he's at a hypnotist show and the word awake is there, and then the bell rings. And so it is like it is really and then you do the next thing and the next thing happens, then there's a standalone line, the control yeah. hung up. And there's like the the way that it is written is that is it is written like you said, it's there's a beat to it, there's a rhythm to it, and you get and you stop, and then you get and you stop. And it's almost like you're on a boat. You're yeah. rowing through it, and you're like, Ooh. and he he sticks specific things in there, images, like then he killed the children is a line in this story, and you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, like, yep, that's what happened, and so because they're not they're lizard children, everybody, he didn't kill the children, children, um, you know, and there's like, I want to wake you up, he said, I'm awake, she said, come on in, he went in, the TV was playing, he turned it off, so there's another like hard stop. There's like all these like things where the technology is getting in the way or or interrupting, and then he's his train of thought, and it's this. This was 1963. Mm. That's amazing to me that in 1963, when TV was still two channels and not everybody had it. You know what I mean? Like oh, when you think, yeah, yeah. like when you think of the line, and, and I know Back to the Future was 1955, but he's like, you have two TVs, you must be rich. And of course, the joke is that the McFlies are not remotely rich at all. But every, in nineteen, you know, in nineteen eighty-five, everybody two TVs. Yeah, yeah. That was, you know, it was. I mean, yes, it wasn't like they were cheap, not like they are now. But like, you know, still a couple mm, hundred bucks. Still. You could you could get a couple of TVs. They wouldn't be yeah. big ones. They'd be like the little tiny one that you know that I watched movies like this on when I yeah. was a kid. And um, but like you could have that. But again, so it's like even in nineteen sixty-three, like the phone ringing and the TV and the noise and the sky. This he's like worn down from world already um and and so what would ray nelson say about he was writing this in 2023 oh my god oh well this this is where i do yeah so because this is a a technological phobia to this story obviously Mm. like with the tv yeah um element um and and mass media in general their 1963's version of mass media which is quite different than 1988's version of mass media, which is even more, which is obviously more prevalent. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, this is where, like, cause I was thinking about that as we went through um, yeah. and you have like the, the 63, 88, like I was like, well, if you updated this, then, you know, 60 years later, what would, what would it be now? And I was thinking, obviously this is social media. This is AI. This is um, social media in particular, you know, social media influencers. Hmm. That's you know, it. Are you, yeah. are you fascinators? Like, you know, they are buy, the fascinators. Buy this. Yeah. Oh, yes, they are the fascinators. Right. Because 
you're right. That's exactly who they'd be. And I love the name. I just wish Carpenter oh, would have yeah. kept the name, but it's okay. I mean, yeah, no, that's really good. And what do you make to the fact that this is, there's a lot of like up close violence. There's very oh, like Rambo, Rambo three, right? This is very much with the knife in the jungle or two, whichever well, Rambo two is the one where he's yeah, got yeah. a lot of, a lot of throat slicing. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, the, the way I would describe this is hard boiled. Like, this is mm. like hard boiled kind of detective fiction. But like I say, the violence is short and shocking. I mean, the first one, um, I'm trying to think, because uh, I love one of the things before we get to that, because it's well about the violence as well, um, is it never sort of, le- you know, you, you know, they're reptilian, you know, that they're, they're, they're these fascinators. But it keeps reminding you that like, although he can see that, like others can't. Because um, this one, so the, one of the first ones, he's killed he's killed a homeless person who's like a I love the way he describes him as like the lovable drunk. Like he's just on the street watching. But I'm just gonna read this paragraph because I think it's great. The eyes of the uh, the eyes and reptilian flesh faded a little, and George saw the flickering image of a fat middle-aged man in shirt sleeves. So like, that's what the world sees. So it was still a man when George slashed its throat with the eating knife, but it was an alien before it hit the floor. So it's like, you know, um, he da- he dragged it into the apartment and kicked the door shut. What do you see? He asked Lil, his girlfriend, pointing out the many, uh, many-eyed snake thing on the floor. Which is crazy. And she just says, Mr. Coney. So she, can, yeah. she still sees the fact that he's just killed her neighbor. But right. we, we know it's not. Do we know? Um, but I just love that violence when he's like, he, <laughs> this guy's come to the door to say, "Yeah, you're making too much noise," and he slashed the throat of him. Uh, yeah. yeah, no, it's very violent. It's very kind of shocking. Well, and it's very, and then so like, there's the line too, though, to follow up. So then it's like he slit his throat from behind and searched the apartment. He found human bones and skulls and a half-eaten hand. He found tanks with huge fat slugs floating in them. The children, he thought, and killed them all. So yeah. those are the children, are the yeah. slugs. But it's like. What do the people? So again, if you go back to what you just read, do the people come in and see children in the apartment? Is he killing children, or because mm. do they see slugs? You know what I mean? Like it doesn't go back, but it leads you to think, like, oh, oh, yeah, yeah. If yeah. Somebody walked in, he infanticide. It's you know, yeah. Anakin in the nursery. Not he's just killing a bunch of slugs. You know, so you don't know. It's like such no. an interesting image because he even thinks of them as children. So. Yeah, oh, he's, you, he's, he was, yeah. I love that do you he's, think he's, that Brett Easton Ellis read this and was like, what if Patrick Bateman? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. cause, you know, like, because that's the whole thing. If, if mm. anybody's ever read or seen American Psycho, like, in my mind, the only person he actually kills is the homeless guy, and the rest of mm-hmm. it is all it's a hallucination. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And so, and you could even argue maybe he doesn't even kill the homeless guy. And I think that translates from the book to the movie in both ways. But it's also like, did Brady Sinella stumble across this? He's like, well, what if the ending? It feels a bit like follow that. it out, doesn't it? Because yeah. it is this slashy and the get well, up close, and he's seeing these things that nobody else can see. And Patrick Bateman, I reread that book last year just because I hadn't in a long time. It's still so disturbing, and it's oh. so good, and it's also like giggly funny sometimes because you're like none of this is real like you just remind yourself every once in a while that patrick is really unwell and there's so there's a moment in here and in this as i was reading this again and i was like i wonder like i never really made the connection until this read through of that whole idea of what you see and what you know and specifically because of the way that that, yeah yeah yeah. up until the end we're talking about perception up until the end 
and that thing, because obviously George is breaking into the, the studio and he says, I know how to make everyone awake and all this other stuff. The ending sort of confirms that he's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the ending the says, because yeah. of the war, you know, it says everybody wakes up and everybody sees them, right? Wake up, wake up, see see us as we are and kill us is what sort of like, you know, he makes them say. But there was a part of me when I was reading this that when he was, I was like, he's come out of hypnosis. Is what he's seeing real? Exactly. You know, is is he is this hypnosis? Is this seeing the reptilians actually an after effect of the hypnosis? Like, is this a hallucination? It, obviously, it confirms it isn't at the end, but it makes that brutality of killing them, you know, and everything. Like, oh my god, could this all have been a hallucination? Yeah, yeah, it's really effective. It's such a and I think for it being, and I have no idea where it was originally published. I don't, I mean, I don't know how anybody stumbled across it. It, it is one of those amazing bits of like, you know, like there's, there's those stories that just sit with you, you mm-hmm. know, and you're like, it is such a biting commentary. And, yeah. and it, it really is saying something. And I think the violence works. Like if it was just like, wake up sheeple. And he's like, just another crazy guy on the street. It doesn't work, but because it's violent and because he doesn't live and because he's not a hero, he's a martyr. I mm-hmm. think there's a really interesting commentary there of like, you have to, to, in order, if you really truly believe in something, what are you willing to give up? And George Nada, who's a nobody is willing to give everything for it. And so I think that leads into it and that's what, where it resonates. So I feel like this is one of those things, if anybody, and it's free online. I can oh yeah, yeah I found it free yeah. online. So you'll yeah, put the yeah. link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. You know, we discovered this again, you know, it's like, I've read it before, um, but you know, in the real future book that we got that started this project for, from the death race thing, but it's in there too. So again, it was something that somebody was like, Oh, we can get this on the cheap. Let's stick this yeah. in there. Um, you know, cause you no, know, and everybody's going to be, have their minds blown. And I think it's one of those stories that like, there's a handful of those really short, punchy stories that stick with you for a long time. Kate Chopin's story of an hour. It's like, honestly, a two and a half pages. And it is, mm. it's not, I mean, it's not this, by the way, it's Kate Chopin. Although Kate Chopin fighting snake people would be amazing. Um, but again, there's like just a handful of those where you stumble across them and you're like, good God. Yeah. That's so good. Like what's going on in your mind? I wish I could find more Ray Nelson. Like I want to know what's out really, Yeah. This feels yeah. like the kind of thing, like it appeared in like a Playboy or... You know, like, like that kind of magazine. And then it's gone like he had like a couple of stories published and then left it and became an accountant. And like people are picking, you know, you pick this up and go like, yeah, what, how the hell did you not write more? Like, I know. Yeah. I mean, well, it's like, be... the, what, like we talked talk about Shirley Jackson, you know, mm. I, um, you know, we did the lottery on here, of course, that one of the greatest pieces of yeah, American yeah. horror. And, um, and, and I just read her biography, A Haunted Life, right? The Haunted Life, which is exceptional too. She was quite that person, but she fucking hated the lottery by the end because mm. it was all everybody ever wanted to talk about. She was like, I also wrote this. I also wrote this. I also <laughs> yeah. did this. I, you know, but it's like, oh my God, Miss Jackson, the lottery. And she's like, mm. yeah, I was just showing you, you. So yeah. it's, you know what I mean? So I almost wonder if it was that. Who knows? Maybe there was like a night in the early 60s, there was a big, there were a bunch of Nelson stands out there. And he was, like you said, he just had to like, drop out. Yeah, he's like, I, I almost want to do to... like, there's a collection, there's, there's a story collection to be had of basically like, humans are horrible. Here's the lottery. <laughs> here's, yeah. like, you know, here's this thing <laughs> of like, why we're awful. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, I want to call it that, why we're awful. A collection yeah. of stories of humans. 
Yeah. Um, right. And I know that the villains, I mean, the villains are the reptiles, but again, yes. it's like they're using us against us. I mean, that's the whole mm. point. We invent. And I mean, maybe the argument is he's trying to make is that they invented TV. But I don't get that. I feel no, like that, yeah, it's, they you, come because we gave them the opportunity to come. Yes. But also, like, they're not they're not inventive. They are playing on stereotypes and archetypes that we have created. Exactly. I mean, like the two, the two that he kills, you know, the fleshy middle-aged man in shirt sleeves, who's probably going to look like a businessman. And I like the, the, the line again, um, George felt his grasp of awareness waver for a moment. The reptilian head dissolved into the face of a lovable drunk. Of course, the drunk would be lovable. It's that sort <laughs> of like, do you know I mean, it's like, you know, it, it is, it's that defense mechanism, isn't it? Of like, um, and this is why um, the characters, one of the characters in the film that's uh you know that it, that turns we'll talk about more in a minute but um is it is that sort of like again that sort of lovable drunk character like he's yeah. that you know that on that lives on this the the shanty town with them and so i'm like yeah this is it we've created these stereotypes and these archetypes like they're just playing into them yeah to cover for themselves like so yeah oh, we yeah. we've built the framework that they are just existing in and that sort of thing that's exactly it no that's totally true right we we allow that we, we And this is what we do, right? And the movie is a little more like, sometimes Carpenter doesn't do subtext, right? No. He just is like, text. <laughs> yeah. Um, most of the times, Carpenter's like, here's the thing, text. I'm just, <laughs> If you miss the point, I, yeah. we're not looking. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, because they say that in the film too, like, you know, mm. the, the, the things we're doing to the world, the newscaster guy, you know, uh, mm-hmm. whoever's playing, whatever that, character is um you know when he's on the tv he's saying all the stuff that 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 uh nelson says you know it's yes. there the subtext in nelson just is text for yes Carpenter. yeah he did also have to take a five-page short story and make it into a 90-minute film true and he does that i mean that sort of thing about moving on so, you know anything yeah. else to say about the story because i just great. think it's it is great you should seriously folks if if you haven't you should click and read i mean do it's, it's five it's, pages. It's, it will it's take easy. you no time, and it is it sits with you, and it is one of those ones that's worth a read and a reread. You know how like there's some, and again, since I already mentioned Neil, like every time you reread, uh, you know, Ocean at the end of the lane, you're like, God damn, you know, like every time you read it, you're like, I missed something that was so good. That was, and again, this is not that kind of writing, but it's that kind of reward that every time oh, yeah. you come back to it, there's just something little. There's another line, like just you reading this. I mean, I just reread this mo- this morning, and you read that. I'm like, oh, that sounds awesome. I want to read that story. Oh, yeah. I just fucking did. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so it's yeah, it's 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 well worth trying. It's, it's it, yeah, little investment, but great reward is what I would yeah. say for this story. Uh, but as you said, this was taken up by John Carpenter uh, for 1988 uh, to become They Live. Um, and mm-hmm. the first thing to talk about for you is um, is what the title is about. Because for years I've always been like, yeah, They Live, and I haven't really thought about it. But it's only only really on this watching that I paid you know, full attention, and I was like, "There's a piece of graffiti and stuff." It's "They live, we sleep," is the full uh, phrase that's used in the film, and "They live" is the is the part that they use, and it's this idea of "they live" as in like, well, we're going to talk about the aliens in this, but like who they represent and all this other stuff, um, and who they could represent in 2023. Ooh, more more good. more so than i think eight ninety eight. yeah um but yeah no this film is you know let's go through the quick story so in you know it's not what well, i mean it's george nada he's just referred to as nada he doesn't he, they never say his name 
No, it's in the in the IMDb. It's listed as not a yeah, and in, in the, the credits, credits listed, yeah. But it's like they at no point does anybody say his name. So I don't know if that was just because didn't John cut his own films too? So yeah, I'm assuming in the edit somewhere he forgot that he didn't leave he left that out. Like all it has to do between oh, him I think and Frank. I, yeah, I think it's I think it's intentional. Like you mm, know, because he's, they, he's anybody. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's anybody. Like and he is everybody. Like you know. Other characters talk about family or where they've come from. You know, Nada doesn't like Roddy Piper. Doesn't really. He has a bit of a past, but you don't really learn a great. And he deal. talks about it right towards the end, right in the beginning of the third act. Yeah, yeah. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not Daddy's boy anymore. Yeah, that's um, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and but now basically, the yeah. third act shall begin. Yes. Oh. Um, basically, he enters town. He's a what? He is what? Uh, I don't know, like a, a hobo or a wanderer looking for work. This is set in the eighties, but it's clearly sort of more probably more representative of sort of other periods like the Great Depression. Probably what we're going to end up being with, and you know, I'm ready to to be nada. Um, but he's yeah. going, he's coming to town for fine work, um, and he finds a construction job uh, and joins up with this shanty town. And in doing so, sort of finds this. He gets suspicious of this church where they're just like the choir sings twenty four seven. And upon investigating, finds that they have speakers playing, and there's a whole host of stuff, including box after box after box, full of sunglasses. Um, after a series of events, the camp is invaded by like an army of police. And we I really want to talk about that scene because it's kind of like, oh shit, like that's a hell of a scene. Yeah. After after it all goes down, um, he grabs a, a sort of he ends up going back and finds a, a box of the sunglasses. <clears throat> um Finding out, trying to find out what it was all about, tries the sunglasses on, and then we get into the the most famous part of this. He sees the world is it shows the world in grayscale, which I love the design of. But all the signs have obey, marry, and reproduce. No imagination, no thought. You know, uh, purchase, consume. The money says this is your god. Your god, yeah, I love that. Um, so all this like, um post you know hypnotic suggestions and all this other stuff but also he re- he sees that the, it, there are certain individuals that have a certain complexion problem <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh and they look they are well clearly said. alien and i love how he yeah. describes them later on and i, I want to talk about Ro- uh, roddy piper's improvisations in this film um and so, yeah it you know he ends up sort of like walking around seeing all these different things and gets into trouble, and then he basically wants to sort of. He needs to um, find other people on his side. He tries to use a, a woman called Holly. She throws him out quite literally. Literally, and then he goes, yeah. He goes back uh-huh. to find his friend Frank yeah, the, from the, the hills Shantytown. of Los Angeles are brutal if you're rolling down from the top. Yes, yeah. uh, his friend Frank, played by Keith David, who after one of my favorite wrestling matches of all time, uh, uh, honestly, he, ma- he makes him wear the sunglasses. Frank then sees what's going on, and between them, they then join the resistance and eventually try and take down, or they do take down, the um, television uh, station. And at the very end, well, we'll talk about the the, the what happens to Nada, but um, at the end of the film, the aliens are revealed, and that's the end. Wow! That uh, you you end you know and, and that's the, oh, no no that's not the end. John Carpenter was like, I already got the hard R for all the flex. Might as yeah. well just have random eighties boobs. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. I mean, like, like that's the last shot of the movie for no reason. And I almost feel like it was the second the second team. They were like, somebody was like, John, you've already got the hard R. Why not? Yeah. Why not? 
Yeah, there's throw, no throw, reason. Throw, that is like, seriously, this yeah. might have been one of the easiest movies to edit for TV. For people who are of an age, you don't know that like yeah. things used to be done, like movies would come out and then, you know, DVDs weren't a thing. VHS was a thing. This was definitely a big mm. VHS because oh, that yeah. covers boss. And I had the poster. I had the poster with him with the sunglasses and everything. Mm-hmm. But like, um, you would, you would, you know, go into syndication and they would have to edit it right for tv this would be really easy to edit honestly totally i mean there's like two fucks and the blood isn't blood there's no because gray the bloody stuff is gray yeah. Yeah, yeah i mean it would be really easy i would love to see an old tv edition to be like if they just say fudge or yeah. what it was my favorite you know? ones of them i was gonna say one of my favorite extras on a blu-ray uh was released by arrow video they did a, um, a release of robocop and they've mm. got they've got three versions of the film on there but one of the versions is a notorious TV edit where it's got all the. <laughs> how and how could Robocop be on TV? Oh no! Oh, this is it's worth it's worth tracking down clips. Okay, I, clips have of the to, TV yeah. edit of Robocop because that doesn't even some make of the, sense. Oh, some of the choices are amazing. You know, sort of like just the fact that the voices are so different. You know. Yeah. Um. Anyway. Uh, yeah. Different, so, different story. That's, but yeah, yes, but that's the story. It. That's the story. Um, I want to tell you, and I'm curious because you know I'm older than you, and I'm an old man. I saw this in the theater. Mm-hmm. Um, so it came out in November of, in America in 1988. So I was 15 years old. I was at an event. I don't remember what it was. It was like so in my little shit town. There's like a golf course that has a country club attached to it, like a, a clubhouse. It's not really mm-hmm. a country club. It was called Pebblewood, and events just happened there: weddings, anniversaries, whatever. So somehow I ended up at this thing on a weekend. This kid Jason, who was a couple, who was maybe one year older than me, and then the girl he was dating, who was in my grade, we were all there. I don't know if it's like weird. We didn't hang out. We weren't like my town was small, so mm. we weren't. It wasn't like people you hated. It wasn't like Maggie and the kid with the eyebrows. It was just like <laughs> people you just knew or didn't know, whatever. So we got along fine. But so whatever the event was, we all really hated it. So Jason was like, "Hey, let's go do something." And I was like, "Oh, they live is out." He's like, cool. And so his girlfriend was like, cool. And I can't even, the sad thing is I don't even remember her name because like they weren't really together. Yeah, she, yeah. she may have even been the grade below me. It might've been that like he was 16, I was 15, she was 14, mm. that kind of thing. But I was young too. So she could have still been my age, but in the grade below me. So anyway, that's what we did. We just bailed on whatever this thing was. And we drove to the two towns over where the movie theater was. And like in the middle of a Saturday matinee, in, there was hardly anybody there. We had the most fun. Like it was one of the most enjoyable because you just were like that looks cool yeah let's just go and it was just like ridiculous to be to know that this was eight people in the theater on that day some you know crisp november saturday we're watching this movie together and like i i, I just it was amazing on the big screen like you know i've seen it so many times that all i remember is the experience of being there and being like i need to go see that again right away like it was because again, people who grew up, like you said, it really is, it's a 1980s movie, but like you and Max did, um, what's the one with Stallone and, and Billy D Nighthawks? It was Nighthawks. the sequel to the French yeah, connection. Yeah, yeah. So like, that's slow, man. Yeah. It starts off with a bang, but then it's slow as fuck. And there's this, there's this thing about there's, this is a 1988 movie, but clearly Carpenter still making 1970s movies. And it's like, I can give you a really, like, I'm going to build character for the first act. 30 minutes, people walking around and playing music. And it was just so compelling. And it, like mm. 
by today's standards, it's super boring, but like it's to me, it's so rewatchable and it's so good. So just that was my experience seeing it for the first time. And that, of course, I owned the I owned the video. I had the poster. I love, love, love. What was your experience of this? How did you come to it? Because you knew Putt Roddy from wrestling before. Oh, this. yeah, like yeah, you, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I yeah. knew I knew of this film. Like I came in, you know, because in 88, I was seven. Okay, so you were not seeing it. The no, so right? I wasn't no. going to the cinema to uh, see this. Um, it's more related. This is one of the stuff. Like, I knew Roddy because I was in the mm-hmm. you know, ladies. I was, you know, the WWF and, and sort of like Roddy Piper was was big thing. Um, this came sort of later. I, the, the first time I really remember this is, again, I had a, my best friend at the time, a guy called Gaz Edwards. He had a brother called Mark, an older brother who was like the he had all the VHSs and he was the one yeah. that had all the sort of like the under the counter kind of, you know, the video nasties and all that. Is that, that. how you saw Evil Dead the first time? It is. Yeah. Nice. It's always <laughs> yeah. good to have those people. Those, right? those kinds of people, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and um, I, didn't, I didn't see it, but he had the poster, as you said, like the, oh, with the glasses so down. That kind of, yeah. Right? yeah. So that, and I was like, it had it, Roddy Piper. And I was like, I know who that is. Um, And so for me, like the only time I'd seen Roddy Piper outside of wrestling on screen um, that I'd remembered was the Cindy Lauper music video for the Goonies because sure. yeah, I was yeah, a massive right. Goonies fan, as you should be. Yeah. Um, and so I remember sort of um, being really interested, but it wasn't until like oh, probably I was about seventeen, and again it was on VHS. And I remember picking it up when a, there was a video shop near that was going out of, out of business, and I picked it up from there. So I picked up an old oh. VHS copy of it, uh, pretty cheap. And it wasn't a great copy, um, but I watched it, and I was like, yeah, this is really good. I'm enjoying this. Um, and it's probably years then that I sort of, you know, I had it on, on DVD at one point, and I've picked up the most recent Blu-ray release. But, like, the Blu-ray release, the cover on the new oh. Blu-ray release, is exceptional. Like they yes. drawn Roddy like at his peak, and then yeah. and he's in great shape in this. But like it is like Lou yeah. Ferrigno's body with Roddy's head on yeah. that cover. It is amazing. I love that new Blu-ray cover. Yeah. I was like because I saw that. I saw. I don't own that, but I've seen it, and I was like, oh, he's good. That's and the, transfer, that's the I, rest I in peace to Roddy Piper. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, um, yeah, the transfer is really good. Like it's really worth seeing on Blu-ray. Oh, like, good. It looks yeah, amazing. Yeah. It looks amazing. <laughs> Um, so that was it. Does like, he it was look just... that big? Is that was that accurate? Then that's what he looks like in Blu-ray. He looks like Lou Ferrigno instead of Does he... no. Well, <laughs> he's not huge, but he is still yeah. cut. Like the scene when he's yeah. in, on the construction site, I was like, oh yeah. shit, yeah. yeah, I forgot how like ripped he was. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I the first time I sort of saw this was late nineties. Nice. Um, and uh, I met Roddy Piper in nice. two thousand five. When I went to WrestleMania 25, um, I'm sure it was around that time. Yeah, and it's in Texas. And I went, you know, it was a Stone Cold Steve Austin induction to the the Hollywood, the WD Hall of Fame and all this other stuff. It's amazing. But I got I've got Roddy Piper's signature, like autograph. Nice. Um, and I met him, and he was it was, but it was when he was sort of not at his best. It was it was clearly drunk. Um. But he was waiting. He was waiting at the desk. He was signing all this stuff, and he was in a good mood, like you know, because I'd heard we'd all heard like the group I was with had heard like you know he can be a bit when he's drunk or had a few like he can be really impatient and just sort of like you know. So he had like two guys with him that were like I think they're probably there to whisk him away if things go a bit oh. pear shaped. Yeah. Um, but the the guy like couple in front of me as he was going up, 
um, placed instead of like there was no he didn't have any wrestling stuff like it was he just placed a like an A4 uh, photo of him as Nada. Oh. And he looked at it, and all, this is because I was like, "This is it's not like you know heartbreaking." But he, he looked at it, and he just went, "Uh, he, yeah." We just sort of looked at it. He didn't say anything. He went, "Those are the fucking days," and nice. then signed it, and then that was it. And so he clearly had like fond memories of doing this film, um, and was a big fan of it. And so, you know, it's called cool. I got his autograph, and and he was cool and stuff. But it's interesting to have like how like this stands out. Like he never, you know, he did it. Bits and pieces Hell later comes on. Frog Town. Hell comes Frog Town is a great. Yeah, that will be. Listen, uh, that movie. I, he wasn't even the main choice. I can't think of who the main choice was, but the person was like, "Can I do it not in the steel cod piece?" They're like, "Did yeah. you beat the movie?" No. Yeah. It's the that's the that's the bit. If you don't want to do that, we got this Canadian crazy guy who doesn't mind walking around in his underwear. Yeah. We'll get him. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, uh, he didn't do much, but this is sort of like this is like a because this is like a classic. This is a proper oh, yeah. good film, and so I think it, it clearly meant a lot to him. Um, yeah, but, the, as it but the, the one thing I'd say is I was going as I, as I was going into this, I was thinking like you know he's he's a wrestler, like you know, and and uh, you know eighties wrestlers into films, bit of a mixed bag. I'm gonna lie. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, what will John Carpenter get out of him? I still remember like, I was I was trying to judge his performance. He's actually really good. Oh yeah. Like he's not Oscar winning, but like he's charismatic. And I thought I saw someone describe him as sort of like this is what Bruce Campbell would be as an action star. Absolutely. Was a, that was, was what... a swing and a miss that they were never in a film together. Oh, hundred percent. Like Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I saw a review that was like Roddy Piper is the Bruce Campbell of action stars, and I was like, yes, hundred percent, that's what he is. He's got the charisma, and but like you know, he kicks ass. Um, so yeah, like you know, I just it's just interesting to sort of see like you know, this obviously meant a lot to him, and it, as as you said, it rightfully should. Um, but it's it's sort of that first thirty minutes, as you say, is an interesting piece. Because it does go on, like say for a full half an hour, um, and Carpenter... John Carpenter's like, I have a three act structure, and we're gonna every one of his movies. He's like, yes. I mean, Halloween. Oh, if you want to teach three act structure, you watch Halloween. Yeah, this is. I mean, the end, and again, the end of the second act is the greatest end of a second act mm. in the history of cinema. I, I mean, like, I'm probably being hyperbolic there, but honestly, I again, you think of the like watching it again. Chad, what's his name? Chad Stef- Chad, whatever the John Wick's Chad. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He saw this, right? And he was like, "Oh, I can, I can get actors to do that. Yeah. I, I don't need, I don't need stand-ins. I can just, mm. oh, yeah. all right." And then they do, and like, so everybody like gives John Wick all the credit for having the actors, like when Keanu was in Common, roll down the stairs mm-hmm. for an hour, and you're like, "It's them, and that's fine, and that's good." But again, they also both saw this, and they're like. Oh. That stair, the fight on the stairs is this. They're like love, loving this scene. I mean, that goes on way too long as I think that's in the second John Wick, right? And it's the same thing here where it's like the wrestling scene. It is the greatest wrestling scene ever. Keith David, who is not a wrestler, and Roddy no. Piper, who obviously is, but Keith David, who's an amazing actor, who wins, who's like, he's just like Morgan Freeman die already voice of God waiting. Like he's the voice is so good. Do you know what I mean? But like as long mm. as Morgan Freeman's around, like we can get Morgan Freeman to narrate this. And Keith Davis like, God damn it. 
Yeah. I'm right here. Right? Keith David, Keith for- David's like, yeah, he's one of those. Like, and I love the fact Keith David doesn't take himself too serious. Like he's done all kinds of bits and pieces. Yeah. The voice, the voice of Spawn for HBO's. Yeah, uh, and he was the Gargoyles. Amazing. The, yeah. The, oh, yeah, yeah, phenomenal. yeah. And in yeah, his in, dudes around. the movie that he's in with Bruce Campbell, although Bruce Campbell's scene got cut, The Quick and the Dead. How yes. do you spell that correctly? I mean, he's just such a boss in everything he's in. He's so yeah. good. And he is amazing in this. And he's having such a good time. Oh, and it is, everyone is. Everyone's so, having a yeah, blast. Yeah, so that second act only works because that slow first act. We exactly. Nada. We get to meet Frank. We see who they are. You have to, like, for this to work, for the story to work, for the plot to work that you described as we are being manipulated by the aliens, by all this stuff. There's, you know, they're hiding in plain sight. You have to see how bad things are. Mm-hmm. Like, what is going on that no one would notice this? Oh, this is what's going on. The police just are going to come in. And this is pre, I mean, this is Los Angeles pre Rodney King, but this is mm. why Rodney, for those people who don't know what that was, you can just look it up. But this is why Rodney King happened. This yes. is shit that was happening. And there's John Carpenter, rich ass fuck, telling this story. Yeah. Oh, no, the, the thing, you're right. I mean, this first half an hour, like, the whole thing of like the, the you know the whole thing with the construction jobs, mm. send, sending home money to the family in Detroit, um, uh, you know N- Nada looking for work, joining the uh, like commune, the shanty town, yeah, you know, and how they're looking after each other and all this other stuff, like, and it's not just like a bunch of blokes, it's not just, it's just a bunch of guys. There are families there, little kids, little kids. yeah, yeah, and it's so you need. You're right. It's like, you could take that like the first bit that first act and if you're like oh it's just this this is what we're going to show you you'd be like man this is like a de- this is a this must be like some sort of like depressing yeah there should be <laughs> in, in the city brother, story, can you spare, spare a dime on the yeah. corner right yeah exactly yeah um but it, it is you it, it sets up the characters in such a way and the relationships and stuff that they, you know you understand that the reason they are able to rebel. And this is the irony of this film I love is the reason they're able to rebel is because they've got nothing because they've been pushed to the bottom. There's no, not, there's nothing left to lose. And there's a great line. There's, well, there's, there's loads of great lines in this film, but there's a line when they're talking about how the middle classes have been, have been evaporated and there's more poverty, which is you know incredibly true. It was known then it's, it's truer now. But the fact is, like, yeah, the the ones at the top, the leeches, the parasite, these parasite aliens that are doing this, they've, they're they by taking it so far that the people at the bottom can form a resistance because there's nothing left to lose. Correct. Why not? Why not yeah. go? I mean, it's either we're going to, our life sucks anyway. Like, yeah. there's nothing. And there is, and then there's that twist with the bum whose name yeah. is the drifter. He turns, right? He turns on them because they're, and again, it only works because the way that it's set up, but he also, the guy who turns the whole time, he's not working. He's not doing anything. He's not helping no. the commune. He's sitting on ass watching TV. Yeah. <laughs> like his whole thing is like this fucking guy again. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. And you're like, okay. Um, yeah. So it is, it's, it is brilliant storytelling. And, and, it, and what again, Carpenter who, and I just, I just want there to be a Carpenter universe. And so, because well, Keith, David's, right. Keith David's character is from Detroit, Assault on Precinct 13. Um, right. Okay. Let's, let's. You know, I'm just putting it all out. No, there. no, no, no. Okay. That's, yeah, like, yeah. That's such a point. Yeah. I, this is the first time I noticed this. I think there is a Carpenter universe. Oh, okay. Tell me about it. Okay. 
So there's a line in this film. So we know that there is there's Carpenter has the Apocalypse trilogy, okay, which is the right, thing, right. Prince of Darkness, and uh, In the Mouth of Madness. Right, a- amazing films. But there's a there's a moment in this film when the bum that we're talking about, the drifter guy, they're talking, and he says about um, there's reports of the of homeless guys of just random acts of violence because of a dream they're having. That's the plot of Prince of Darkness. Wow, you're right. And so I was like, oh, oh. so Prince of Darkness. This but, then ha- but then John Carpenter and, and George Romero are called out at the end of the movie on the TV. Yes. About well. being too violent. So there's also that John Carpenter's in it. And yeah. as we were saying, John Carpenter wrote this as Frank Armitage, which is mm. Keith David's character's name, Frank yes. Armitage. So it's also yeah. like, this, this, again, this has got I'm, layers. There's it's, meta it's layers. there. He's but there. I, He's the yeah, witness yeah. to it. Yeah. I honestly think. I agree. I think that this and um, the events of uh, Prince of Darkness are in the same universe. Mm, okay. Not, so don't forget though, because Prince of Darkness ends, and the ending of spoiler for a completely different Carpenter film. <laughs> yeah. It's about. It's actually about sort of time travel. Like they're they're sending photons back to the past because of some great event that's happened, and it's, it, which resulted in the Prince of Darkness returning. So that happens after the film, the events of actually the Prince of Darkness film, which is also an amazing film. Um, but they're right. I think you could quite easily say that um, uh, Assault on Precinct 13 yeah. happens in, in this universe. In this universe. Okay, I'm just, I hate to do this to make you edit something, but like, I have to stop for one second because there's a storm coming and we've got a weird window thing. I'll be back in two seconds. I'm sorry. No worries. I'll take a okay. note. That's okay. Re-edit. Of it. All right. That's yeah. Yeah. So no, I think it's. I agree. I think I like, and that's the thing about the, you know, the Halloween movies. And depending on how you watch them, there's the original six, and then there's one, two, and twenty, and then there's one, one and twenty, mm-hmm. and then there's the one, and then one, two, three, and whatever, and yeah, 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 all those. Um, but again, they all lean into this weird shared universe. And the thing is, and then Halloween 3, my favorite Halloween movie, mm-hmm. is um, not the best, but my favorite. They're watching Halloween. Yes. So again, there's this fun thing that he does. He knows who he is. He knows what he's about. Um, but he's always having something to say, too. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he's always, I mean, in the original Halloween, they're watching the thing from another world. So... Right, right. Oh, you're right. The original, not his. No, no, yeah, no. In the yeah, in the uh, 1978 version, the two kids are watching the thing from another world. Whilst, but, uh, but they're not watching his. Not version his version. No, no. The original. They're watching the, the one. The yeah, yeah. Watching Hawks. the original. The thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. The Howard Hawks one. Okay. Right. So he's yeah, always he's, he's, he's yes. super meta. Yeah. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So you know, I do think there is a you know, and I, one day I'm going to go through and do a full watch through. That'll all be your next. Films. That'll be your next. Oh, book maybe after you get the action book, people like. The Carpenter verse. Yeah, I'll buy it. I line me up. Um, but let, let's talk about so you know this this works because of not just because of the setup, but it works because of the cast. And we've said about like mm. you know how great we think. Um, Roddy Piper is an interesting choice because he's not a known commodity. You know, not apart from being a wrestler, not as, yeah, not as an just, actor, yeah. like you know, not really in the mainstream. Um, so you can't really hang your hat on him. But he is the main. He he is pretty much like in every scene. Like he is. The central thing of this, like selling this to a you know a studio, must have been kind of yeah. Because until the end of the second act, he, like Keith David's, an, Keith David's there, he's getting mm. him through. 
You're like, people know him. He's awesome. You love his voice. Act two, it's just Rowdy. Yeah. And then then uh, Meg Foster comes in for a minute during act two. But it is like, again, really. Him. And again, he's not so good enough actor. They did not try to make romance happen. They're just like, we're not going to. No, no, she no. could have been anybody, but we're going to move on for that. And then, yeah, the Keith David comes back in for act three. But it's like, yeah, it is really the crux of it. The, the big turning point of the movie is him, him yeah. having to act. And he's good. Yeah, he is. And he holds the audience. He holds the screen. And there's a couple of scenes where, like, you know, because if you've ever seen Roddy doing his thing in the, the ring. Like, you I, know, he... I saw him live. I saw a live pipe. Yeah, yeah. he's yeah, amazing. Yeah. Like, he can be a manic energy doing his thing in the ring. And he, but he's very controlled in this. And I like the fact he sort of maintains that. And there's a couple of moments when you see it come through. Um, but he is definitely a great choice for it um, because of those things. Because he's big, he's sort of like, you know, but he, he's a presence and he's able to hold himself. But he shines when he's able to let loose. And I, I know, You wanted so... to talk about some of those let loosey lines, I know, for a fact. He I just want, let's, yeah. Go genius. On. No, no, yeah. I know it's true. No, you're right. And that's what, I mean, when he lets loose, he, he is acting. He's taking direction. You can see. He's also got Keith David right there. I mean, that doesn't, that doesn't, he's so good. That doesn't, like you talked about the cast and uh, Peter Jason who plays Gilbert. Mm. He's an actor. Mac mm-hmm. Foster, like he's, he, he's, it helps when a no-name actor is surrounded by people. And Roddy was not there. He wasn't there to grandstand, right? He oh, was no. there to learn to act. Yeah. Um, and you he feels like that. Batista. This feels like when you get like, you watch like Batista, you know, like Dave Batista has, has clearly turned up and learned from people and you go like, oh, cool. Like he's, gone in humble and learned and become a really good on-screen presence. I feel that's what Roddy was doing with this. Didn't pan out in the same way, but I do feel like, oh, he's taking direction from Carpenter and he's learning from like Keith David and all these other people. So cool. And he does it and he keeps it contained and he sort of like, you know, there's moments when you of genuine pathos. There are three, there are three moments I really want to talk about that that I love. Um, The moment when he first goes into um, the church, and he finds all the, the the this is a small scene, but it's very different. He sort of finds the um, the glasses, and he finds there's like behind a board in a wall, and it, but when he repla- when he replaces the board, and it clunks, and you just see there's like the the Roddy smile is there that like you know he's like there you go, and he pulls it back in, and I'm like that's not like that feels like all right we they've let that slide, but that's sort of like it's not. Out of character, but like he, you know, he feels this. That's when you first notice. Oh, there's something about Nada. There's something more. Um, and you obviously get the um. Well, before we get to the famous line. Oh yeah. Before we get to the really famous line, which he improvised. You also get my my favorite. He goes into the the grocery store. The the, the sort of oh, and the shop, woman. Oh, that's amazing. And the, the, the older woman pumps into him, and he basically the, his description of it is something like, "You you look like your face was dipped in cheddar cheese in 1954 and left out in the sun." But it's the fact he turns to the other person and like he looks at her. And he's like, "You you're all right, but her <laughs> formaldehyde face. formaldehyde face." Yeah, yeah, amazing. He um, and he. And the reason it works is because of that. And again, you can't drop into the second act. Your brain no. says you want to drop in there. 
but it doesn't work no. because at first he's acting, he's controlled, he's tight. And then again, when you get to the thing where he's like, I'm not my daddy's son anymore. Daddy's not whatever that is. You know, daddy's not around to beat my ass, whatever it is. He says, it's so good. He's so fucking cool. But it's like that works because that's the that's the rage he's been holding in this whole yeah. time. You know, we talk about like this time out in Colorado and this is it. And when you hear it, like then the moment when he's trying to get a job, and he's like, I'm from Denver and all the cop, all this. And there's like, so you can see he's beaten down and he's kind of got that. That frustration. Weather. That's a great that scene. frustration. We, that's that, it. Yeah. That, that scene when she sort of says to him, like, he's trying to say, like, I'll do anything. Like, I'll, I'll, you know, I can work. And the, the woman says to him, we've got nothing for you. And just that look of like, of course you haven't. Like, you know, screw you, lady. Like, yeah. yeah, yeah, of course well, you have and, and he even has the line, too, later where he's like, and of course, in the most Canadian accent ever, I believe mm. in America. You're like, yeah. okay. Yeah. <laughs> but that's yeah. fine. That's um, not what people from Colorado sound like. It's fine. Um, yeah. But yeah, so it's like, but again, you're so right. So that when he turns loose, all of that rage and all of that simple private work mm makes that land if if you just start the movie there if you do the kafka and you just start like the way that the books the short story yeah, starts yeah, yeah. it doesn't work no no you need nada to be tempered down and beaten because this is him rebelling like he is the res- joint he is triggering the resistance um obviously there's the most famous line which everybody knows you know i've come here to chew bubble gum and kick ass and i'm all out of bubble gum Love it. um was improvised uh was a roddy line um, and apparently, I was I read it today. Uh, Carpenter's direction was: you've broken into a bank, but you're not robbing the place. You need to say something. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> um, oh, and that's what he said. And, and that was what he said. Yeah. Exceptional. And then at the end of the world's greatest wrestling match, when he's like, "Life's a bitch," and she's back in heat, and you're yeah. like, "Ah, oh, <laughs> boss." Yeah. Well, there's little lines like again, like there's there's a moment when he's in the police and he's in the bank and he sees the guy with the watch and he puts oh, yeah, the yeah. shotgun and he says, "Mama don't like no tattletales." That's it. He does say that. Doesn't yeah. He? What the fuck? It's like really bizarre, but um, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's just it, he is amazing in this in that line, like yeah. But like you say, and you can tell that that frustration is building because there's there's a sense of. When he notices everything, like firstly, there's all the shock. Like he sees the the signs, obey, uh, reproduce, you know, mo- this is your God on the money and all this other stuff. There's like an absolute like what the hell moment. And then you sort of get to the point where he's like, this kind of makes sense. <laughs> like, oh, this all makes sense. This is why the world is as it is. Um, For people like me. For people like me, yeah, and yep. you know, and it, when we get to the very end, um, and he sort of confronts the hobo, the the bomb that we said like, that that's turned, um, and he's like, you know, well, we're going to get the message out, you know, across the world, all the countries, and the guy, the guy's response is amazing because he says to like, and it, this is again, the 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 look on Keith David and, and Roddy's face when he says it is really good acting. He says, "You don't get it, do you? There are no countries like they run everything." It's all a show, you know. Yeah, and so I love and that. I do too. And again, that there's so many layers there. And again, you know, like I'm not a Q and like I don't believe in, you know, I love mm-hmm. good conspiracy theory, but I don't believe in conspiracy theories. But what I yeah, love yeah. about them is like you know the Bilderbergs, not the Build a Bear, but the Bilderbergs, yeah. the secret group that runs the world. And if you 1954 ever, if I, meeting, yeah, yeah. yeah. If you ever read, listen, 
speaking of wrestlers who went on to do other things, I read Jesse the Body's American uh-huh. Conspiracy Theory book. Yeah, it yeah. is exceptional. I cannot recommend it h- highly enough. Like it is, it is Jesse unhinged because he'd been a governor at this point. Mm. So now he's got like, you got a governor. And he had a podcast for a while where he had like a sycophant who'd be like, what do you ever you say, governor? And his whole thing is like, here's the shit I know. And I'm going to tell you all about it. And it's the most unhinged, beautiful, gorgeous piece of <clears throat> creative nonfiction in the world. But he goes on and on about the Bilderbergs. And it's here. It's here. Like, that's the commentary, right? They're everywhere. Oh, there is no country. There's this, just this these is, rich. And this is it. This is the, what the Bilderberg yeah, yeah. conspiracy well, the, the, theory bef- brought to life. Before all this, I'm going to sort of go, go, make sure I can get it. Yeah. So before all this, there's a, yeah, there's a guy called William Cooper who was the is the granddaddy of conspiracy theorists okay and in 19 the early 90s he released a book which i've got here which is called behold a pale horse and this was like his manifesto and it breaks down to all these bits and pieces um and the bilderberg thing and this whole thing about um the illuminati kind of thing is in there but this idea of like nice. oh the rich that rule the world and this is how they're doing it. And it's there's a the first paragraph, the first chapter is called Silent Weapons for Quiet Wars. And it is literally about what this film is about. Amazing. I um, love it. Yeah. But it is an interesting, and that's the weird thing. Like you get this movie, the reason this movie is so good, in addition to all the things we've said and how great everything is. And honestly, Meg Foster's fine. She's mm-hmm. a bit outmatched. I think she's a bit outmatched. Like she's just not charismatic enough and 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 her heel turn at the end doesn't work whatever it's fine whatever she's fine but the the genius of this movie is john carpenter is showing you how conspiracy theories work because yes. there are rich people there are people john carpenter is a guy who worked his ass off to be john carpenter he wasn't mm-hmm. you know like his most famous heroine is the first Nepo baby, right? Like the first mm. scream queen is the daughter of the scream of, of the scream queen. And, and not like Jamie Lee Curtis worked her ass out. And I love her, oh, but yeah. she's really super talented, but like Carpenter's not that, you know, he works. He does everything. He wrote this. He fucking did the music. He directed it. You know, he edits <laughs> the movie. Like yeah. Robert Rodriguez, like Robert Rodriguez is the, is the next, like John Carpenter's clearly his hero, right? It's yeah, like, yeah. 100%. you know, he want like, I mean, that fucking the El Mariachi trilogy is amazing. And the, the, the first movie, the first El Mariachi, which he made for $7,000, mm. he's wearing the camera the whole time. He's also the fucking camera operator is, is like, Carpenter's, you know, and oh, that's, look yeah, at Rodriguez. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's making all this money and he worked his ass off. So like, Carpenter's that guy. And this is the movie where he's saying like now at the height of his, it's kind of at the height of his powers, he could make whatever he wanted. He, you know, he's like, this is the story I want to tell. I want to show people that yes, there are rich assholes. I know them. I work with them. And mm-hmm. it's, that's why the casting of Roddy Piper is perfect because he didn't go get Stallone. He didn't no. go get who at like 1988, he didn't get Carl Weathers to be the lead. He didn't get somebody who's like, Put that person's face on the cover and we're going to, you know, we're going to make all the money back just on opening weekend. He went and got a grinder, a guy who like, you know, I mean, you know, he worked his way up as a, you know, and you know, as a a former wrestler yourself, that's not a, it's not an easy job to do. And so it's like, this is his commentary. I'm like, yes, money is your God. Rich people can control you. And you have to fight back. You mm. and like this is such a call to arms. And again, not that I think John Carpenter believes in the Bilderbergs, but he's saying to the Bilderberg guys, "I see you. 
Oh, 100%. This shit is real. Money is the most important thing ever. And yeah. so, and again, this fiction, this fiction you've it, created is the most correct. important fiction in the world. And that, yeah. you know, but all, like you say, the, the thing is, like, you know, he's pointing out the, and, you know, others of this era are like Bill Hicks, George Carlin. Mm. Like Bill, Bill Hicks, and uh, you know, I can imagine Bill Hicks had it. shit to say. Oh, Bill Hicks, like yeah, like you know, angry individual for most of the time, but but you know, on the money a lot of the time, um, is very similar to this. Like say, like pointing out this shit. But the the point is, well, it's not just it's about keeping people asleep, giving people just enough entertainment. You know, what's it called? Bread and circuses. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the point of well is the uh, the police. Are the army of the rich, mm. um, sure. and you know, in this it shows it like that scene where they they clear the shanty town is oh. is brutal, and it's one of those things as you said that like, this is pre Rodney King and the the LA riots, but this is one of those where you sort of watch it and you go like, oh man, like you know, I can't believe this this would never happen in America, you know, and then like within five years, like you yeah. know. And then, three, it was three years later, Rodney King yeah. was 91. Yeah. And then, you know, now we we live in an era where you'd watch this and go, yeah, this is, we know that, you know, the, the homeless population of America and grow, growing in Europe is increasing. This is going to be happening on a regular basis, clearing shanty towns to clear it for that, you know, because the rich or those in homes don't want to see it. Yeah. Um, and it's, and again, for a movie that has a 12 minute wrestling scene in the middle is really, I mean, and again, $4 million budget. You see where every cent went mm-hmm. in, right? It's like, and again, that's what, you, again, $4 million. And you're like, fuck, if I had $4 million, I wouldn't make a movie. Right. But you're not John Carpenter, right? I mean, he had mm-hmm. more than four, you know what I mean? Like, but, but again, the money is worth it because it's entertaining. You're talking about it. It's not provoking. It is. And it is still on top of it all, Really good, silly fun. That oh, yeah. is the, that is the beauty of Carpenter. He knows how to number one make an amazing film. And again, anytime I watch fire in a movie, and I know we're not talking about this movie, but like I always think back, like he lit somebody on fire in the thing, yeah. and yeah. <laughs> no one can do that anymore. And that's probably for the best. But nothing ever looks as good once you've seen the thing, and then mm-hmm. you see any other movie where somebody's on fire. You're like, mm. yeah, John Carpenter yeah. lit a guy on fire. Yeah. No, the, like, the, the, but he shouldn't have. Well, but that guy said it was fine. Yeah, yeah. We may not like. <laughs> even, to be fair, he may not have told him. He might have been like, "Look at that." <laughs> um, yeah. No, I feel I find that with Carpenter. Carpenter is one of those sort of he's grounded. Like you know, he's he's grassroots kind of directing. And yeah. Doing stuff, like every one of his films, and you know, one day maybe we'll get around to talking about. Yeah, like Snake Plissken. I mean, that's the only other person I thought I was like this could have been Kurt Russell, but like eighty-eight Kurt Russell. Would have cost too much. Would have cost too much. Making Tango and Cash, you know, you're on to sort of like a slightly different um, actor. Um, And I don't know if they, I have a feeling they may have had a bit of a falling out post Big Big Trouble in Little China. Um, They made up and made Escape from LA. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, they came back together. But I'm Bruce Campbell's in that. Damn it. Yes. Oh, we just keep missing out of Roddy Pike. It's close. He's adjacent to all these. He's in the other things. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. but like you say, this this uh, this whole scene, like yeah, it's it's I don't know what you said, call to arms because this is basically, yeah, it is. and I do feel like one of the things that makes me laugh about this film. I was I was looking at some of the sort of the, the influence of this film, right? So you, you can get T-shirts now that will say like you know I'm here to 
tube all gum and kick ass right. and do that. And you think, okay, it's a cool slogan. I'd forgotten until recently. So I've seen them. Right, there are baseball caps around that just have on them "Obey," and it's become oh. it's become a like a slogan. And I was like, that comes from this, and I'm not yeah. sure anybody knows that or at least remembers that. But how ironic that this, like you said, that this um, subconscious sort of like you know marketing thing that they do in this film has now become just the marketing. <laughs> the, right, and again, it was like when you watch it, you're like a little on the nose, Frank. Armitage, yeah, and yeah. you're like, oh, but no, this is it. Uh, yeah, it is, now it's, it's the it's truth. A, now it's the truth, and it is. That's what makes it so good. And so then, when you get to that totally gonzo, and again, when you rewatch the third act, isn't as crazy as it could be. The third act, I mean, there's it's a little bit tense. It's a little bit like cloak and dagger. Who, who's gonna turn on you or whatever? But it is definitely there's lots of guns and there's lots of random shooting yeah. of things and, and weird science fiction. Oh my God, that. he's showing me. That's crazy. I didn't know that. That's, that's outrageous. Carpenter, he's not be, dead. I'm sure no, he's pissed. He must be, he should be getting money from that. Those obey yeah. caps. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, he, the, yeah, it's the, just, it's, it's so, I just can't, I know I, I like, I lose my, because I get what you want this movie to be like in your mind. The thing is, is you've seen this movie. If you've seen this movie before, you remember the things you remember. You remember the second act. You remember the third act. And but it's but it is the setup. It's it's the character development. It's the performances, and then of course it's the fucking soundtrack. Another oh. John Carpenter soundtrack that is yeah, working its ass off. And I love like I forgot this was the time when I was like watching. I was on the bike this morning watching it. Mm-hmm. It's like oh man. It's a Western. Oh, 100%. I'm so, yes. Standoff, right? I'm like, oh, my God. So he did another thing. He And so this goes back. His name is Nada. But also in the cut, he cut his name out. Yeah, he's a man with no name. Ah, so good, right? Oh, 100%. Uh, Yeah, I love that. But it's also, like you say, the film starts with him walking into town like you don't see him you don't see him get off a train. He walks past a train. The the, sort of... in. Suggestion is that he's got off a train, but you don't see that. He just appears from behind a train and walks into town. This is the man with no name. This is, you know, your Jimbo. This is, you know, um, the, um, you know, Fistful of Dollars. This is the same sort of character. Yeah, 100%. Uh, and oh. I love that. However, this is Shane as well. Mm. Okay. Because that's the sort of like comes out of the comes out of the of the ranges, you know, the gunman sort of looking to sort of do good. And Shane, again, I'm gonna spoil a film from nineteen fifty four. Leaves <laughs> you. Yeah, leaves <laughs> leaves at the end of that film, shot and just makes up an excuse and goes into the ranges and goes off to the plains to die. To die. And so you have that sort of it's a you know, it's a strangely wonderful film. Um but and it's been remade by James Mangold. It was called Logan. Yes, pretty much. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but what what I like about this film is you say about what you remember, right? You remember the bombast. You remember the 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 one liners. You remember the sort of like you know the the look of the aliens. You remember the finale, which has got this like the weird teleportation thing, uh, which is a great description. Which is like yeah. it's got bendy, le- it's got it's got bent lenses or something. Eh. Yeah. And it's like just eh. trust it, just trust the technology. Yeah. But the thing that often gets forgotten is Nada dies at the end of this. Yes, 
He's a martyr, like, just like George in the story. Oh, yeah, yeah, he yeah. is. Yeah, he he completes his mission, and but not only does Nada die, so does Frank. And I'd Frank forgotten does. that. And I'd forgotten I that because then... it happens off camera. Yes. But like he's the one that's like I'm sending money back to my wife and kids, and so in his death is like oh it's a gut punch the way it happens because it comes out of nowhere off screen, but you know it's happened because it's come from Holly as her heel yeah. turn. Um, but yeah, then on the on the thing he gets shot, and I like I love the fact that it's sort of like you see that and this is a good performance by Roddy. He gets shot, and it's that thing of like fuck it, and then he shoots the the antenna. And it's sort of, you know, the, the image is gone. The illusion is broken. And he just sort of falls over. And that's like you say, you get the montage of them being revealed on television and in bars, in bed. Um, for no reason. For no, no reason. reason. What's the matter, baby? Yeah. yeah. And I think, honestly, this is the thing that I wish he had done. I wish he had flipped it. I wish it had been that the woman was the alien. Like, if you're going to yeah, do yeah, the yeah. boobs, give us the alien boobs. And give us alien have- boobs. Have the yeah. dude be a man? I think yeah. a human. I think that would have been funnier. But they were like, "That's going to cost more." Yeah, like to, to do up that prosthetic outfit. boobs and that. Yeah, sort of. yeah. Um, here, here's the thing, though. Keep this, I, here's how. Here's why I like the fact that this. Firstly, this was made by John Carpenter, but it was also made in the eighties. Because if this was now, you'd be looking at not only would you be looking for the Carpenter shared universe, you'd be looking for the Nada franchise. They were like, oh, yeah. so at the end of the film, like, right, we can't kill him because we're going to want it to have him during the war. Nada's going to be, oh, how do he come? Well, what's the sequel? How does he come back to fight the aliens if he's killed on that, um, the, the, you know, the roof of that building? Well, he doesn't. He's dead. <laughs> that's the right, point. He's died. That's the point. Yeah, that's the yeah. point. Like, I can imagine there being studio notes that are like, no, you know, Nada lives. Like those kind of things. You're going like, no, you don't. You don't understand. Like, look. <laughs> You're just one of them. Just stop. Stop giving notes. Well, and you can't. And that's the thing. That's where Carpenter being. So, like, he wrote it. He directed it. He produced it. He did the music. He cut it. He didn't shoot it. It's the whatever the guy name who shoots all his movies. Mm -hmm. George Mm -hmm. something or other. So that's the one thing he didn't do. He wasn't his own cinematographer. That other person is a real person. He's like, I can't do everything, people. (laughs) And, you know, and um, he wrote, you know, his, his wife. Uh, you know, wrote uh, Halloween with him, and you know yeah. she was she didn't not co-write this with him, but you know she was. I don't even know what they were. She's the producer on this. Deborah point. Hill. Deborah Hill. She's Deborah is she the is she a producer she on this? Yeah. Okay, so she's there because you know she's again knows how to talk Carpenter, mm. um, which is good. You know, you you need that. You need that other voice in in the room because he he did so much work, but it's that helps. When you're yeah. the producer, when your wife is the other producer, you can be like, I don't need your note. There is no studio. It even yeah. and I actually think the thing, because it's it's called John Carpenter's They Live. Yes. And he does that a lot as he got older and as he owned his own production company, because he wanted everybody to know this is I approve. There's no director's cut. There's no bullshit. This what you see is exactly what you get. And I appreciate that because it it, it and as I watch it again today, and I think every time I watch it in different hands in a young director's hands who's not an indie director like so don't think like like john watts spider-man john watts mm. he's an indie guy i have a friend of my a woman i work with knows him her daughter mm. is the one who who produced cop car and she produced clown oh, okay. and she's the one who like him and jake schreier who's going to do thunderbolts mm-hmm. and um like those were her guys like she mm. discovered them and made the, produced their first movies 
So like, like Jake did Robot and Frank, which is an exceptional film. Oh, that's good film. Yeah, yeah, that's him. And he did, and Cody produced that. And they did Paper Towns. And she actually did Art of Self-Defense, which I don't know if you've seen, but it is a fucking exceptional film. Mm. Anyway, anyway, so she makes these kind of weird indie movies and she's no no interest in moving with them to Marvel, right? But she like goes to their premieres and she knows them and stuff. And her, her, uh, you know, her nephew got a job working, Mm. working for Marvel, but it's not something that she's interested in, but so there's that weird thing of like, so when John made cop car and when John made clown, he could do whatever the fuck he wanted. Yeah, like yeah. Nobody's there to give him any notes, but then like the next step up, like for Jake in particular, his next step up from making robot and Frank was paper towns. And so now it's like a John green movie. Well, now there's more people in your ear. Mm-hmm. Now, instead of having Cody writer as your producer, there's eight producers. And yeah. now you're like, we want this and we need this and we need to make sure we have this. And he's like, well, and then the next thing up and the next thing up. And so that, that the more money there is, the worse yeah. it is for you. And so it's, and again, in different hands and a different director, a director who's made the, this really indie darling. And then before they go on to make the next big thing, if they made this movie, that little budget movie, it would have a totally different ending. Like you said, it would be, we're setting up the not They wouldn't be able to say, no, I'm going to kill him at the end. He dies yeah. at the end. That's the yeah. end. It has to, it would make no sense for him to live in any no. way, shape or form. Um, and they would be like, did you see alien four? And you'd yeah. be like, now listen, I have a soft spot in my heart for alien four, but it makes no sense. Yeah, it doesn't. I hate it. I have a soft spot in my brain for that. <laughs> but for that, right? it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. What are you doing? You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. this is dumb. So these are the, that's the concern is that, that yeah, there no, exactly, would be a 100%. force to make Alien yeah. Four, but, but it'd be they live too, and it wouldn't yeah. work. Yeah, but that but this film is exactly the point to not do that, like, and that's Correct. why it works. Yeah, and that's yeah. So I, I, that's why I love yeah. this film. That and yeah, Carpenter but, did have those experiences. He went on to make things like you know Memoirs of an Invisible Man, and and you know it, uh, Carpenter's best when he's left to his own devices. Like you know, don't yeah. The nineties were not kind overall to Carpenter. But, no, there was, but the money was there, and that was yeah. it. He started, and even Halloween three broke his heart. Yes, and that's why Michael Myers comes back, and so he is again a victim of his own success because people are like, "Oh, Halloween's good. You should make Halloween too." And he and Jamie Lee were like, "All right." And Deborah Hill's like, "There's not really a story there." So you know, they kind of make a different movie, mm. and then. And then Halloween three, he's like, "Cool, now I can. I did what you wanted. Now I can do what I wanted to do, which was a yearly anthology still, yeah, series yeah. based on Halloween." And they're like, "That was really good, but nobody gets it." Yeah. And so then he got he got looped into that, and you know that's the sad thing is they're going to try. You know, you know, Michael Myers will come back again. We'll keep getting this bullshit forever. And those like Rob Zombie ones are unwatchable. But because Ugh. John Carpenter doesn't own that himself, there's that other producer who's not mm-hmm. him and Deborah. The shit can Akkad. keep happening. Yeah. What's it? Akkad. What's his name? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I forget his first name, but yeah, Akkad is the guy. Yeah, yeah, and so that's a problem, but you're right. So he's like, no, no, I'm going to make this movie. It's called John Carpenter's Day. John Carpenter's Ghost to Mars. You can shit on that all you want, but that is the movie he wanted to make. Now, the studio, he wanted that to be Snake Plissken. They were like, Escape from L.A. bombed. We're not going to let you do it. So he's like, fine, I'll just take the exact same script I wrote and I put Ice Cube in it. Fuck off. And they're like, oh, okay. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> same with vampires i think vampires is a massively i love vampires like you know i love vampires are you kidding me that movie and again the soundtrack and vampires yeah, so good james woods yeah. anyway is, this is yeah, the but, we love john carpenter part of the show but it, it, is. it is but again but it's just what you said this movie is the ultimate john carpenter flag in the sand art matters tell your own story do your thing 
micro budget it. Like I just read an mm. interview with, with Jake Johnson, um, the guy from new girl. And, you know, he's the guy with the beard and he's really yeah. funny and charming, whatever, but he, he's been making some, he made a pandemic movie called ride the Eagle, which was exceptional. And him mm. and JK Simmons and Susan Sarandon is only in it on the TV. Cause you know, they were pandemic movie. It's really good. But now he's, so he's into, I read the thing where he's like, I can get more money to make my movies, but if I keep the budget at 5 million or less, I can do whatever I want. People yeah, no one bothers he's me. Like, and he's like, I make it. And he's like, we always make our money back. Because at 5 million, just on video on demand and DVD sales for libraries and stuff, in Redbox, we make our money back. Yeah. And then it'll stream. Like a movie like that, Netflix isn't buying it and Hulu isn't buying it. They all get it. I just distribute mm. it to everybody. It just shows up on your Plex. It shows up on Hoopla Digital, whatever. And I make all this money. $5 million, people stay. He's like, as soon as I get to six, it's like, it's way too much. Now we got to release it in the theater. We got to do all this stuff. So it's like, again, that John Carpenter kind of do it yourself. Yeah, yeah. Tell your own story. Hire Roddy Piper. And again, it's what makes this. So it's not just that the movie is awesome. It is, but it's like the story of the movie. What it is mm. exactly what you said. It is the utmost fuck you to the studio, to everybody. Like, oh, you think you have all your money? $4 million. This made 14. Yeah. He's like, oh, look who, look who tripled his budget. This guy. Fuck right That's off. It, yeah. <laughs> might, might drop. I'm out. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's so amazing. And here we are talking about it. And, you know, I mean, the, the thing about the IMDb budget is it ends at a certain point in time. Yeah. yeah. The residuals on this right now, I watched it on Tubi. Mm. And there were like current ads because people people are still watching it. It's not like sometimes you go to Tubi and you watch it. I don't know if you guys get Tubi over there, but like those three, like mm. Pluto TV or whatever. You watch those things. There's like not a lot of ads. You're like, nobody's watching this, obviously. So this is just... Lots of ads for yes. they live because they're like people are still fucking watching it. So John Carpenter they, got a check this, is, this morning. This is one of those interesting ones where um and we'll start to look up wrapping up on this. Yeah, yeah, of course. This is one of those sort of films where it's considered a cult classic, but those that know it love it. It's I don't true. know. Many, I don't know many people that watch this film and then they're like, you know. There'll be people that go, it's not really my thing, or like maybe sort of like, you know, but they'll be like, oh no, but it was fun, or it was this or that. Like it generates yeah. conversation, it generates discussion. Because it is, it just sort of like there's so much going on here. And you say it's not all subtext. I think Carpenter is, you know, sometimes as subtle as a brick. In, and <laughs> that's fine. That's I'm fine. Said. I'm I'm fine with that. Um, Leave but, me alone. Yeah. Yeah. But like, you know, this film is like you say, you can sit back and you can just enjoy this as like, a wacky, weird, um, sci-fi sort of action. Right? Yeah, you got to sit through the first half an hour if you—that's your thing, you know. If that's going to be problem. but th- th- everyone's so charismatic that it works. Um, and so by the end of it, you go like, "Wow, that was a really good film." But then, if you want to sit and like, I say dissect it and start talking about these things, you go like, "Actually, no, there's a ton of stuff here. There's some great scenes, um, creepy scenes, like you know, we've said about like when the the blind." priest is is he's matching what's being said on the television and you're a bit like what's that going on it's because he knows it off by heart because he's part of the resistance and yeah. that sort of thing um just little things like that are so well done um and just having like roddy piper as your star just a cherry on top to be perfectly honest like yeah and he's and again seriously folks if you, nothing else go to the youtubes just type in they live alley wrestling scene it will yeah. be it'll be like eight to 12 minutes of joy those two are having so much fun there's even a moment where roddy smiles like he yeah. laughs in the middle of it because he's having too much fun it's 
exceptional. And they left it in because it was like, eh, leave it. It's fine. Well, it works. It works it in the scene. Works. But I want to say, this is why, right? I will finish on this because I forgot when I talk yeah. about this. I know we've got to ruin that time. But that rest of that scene works because I called it a wrestling match. It's a fight scene, but it works because it tells a story. Roddy was the reason Roddy was so good. Um, he was, you know, he's like Ric Flair level sort of like performer. They told a story in that ring. Like they were like, right, here's the goodie, here's the baddie, here's the reason, here's the motivation. I'm picking a body part. Like, you know, we're gonna do we're gonna tell a story in the ring. This um this fight tells a story. Oh, yeah. like, I, I love the fact it starts like simple enough. And he, he says, I'm going to give you a week's wager. Cause this is after like uh, Nard has gone off on one and, and Frank throws it into the box, which is a great shot. By the way, he sort of throws the oh, movie into the box. And then the sort of like, it's, he sort of just walks up and Frank punches him in the face and that's it then. And it keeps going. And it keeps on. Yeah. yeah. But it doesn't sort of go straight into like, a martial arts fight. It starts with like a punch here, a punch there. And they sort of go, you know, they're sort of judging each other. And then it escalates into, um, you know, slightly larger haymaker punches and throws and, you know, uh, other bits and pieces. And then it ends with, like, two suplexes. Um, one of them's got like a, four the, by, a two by four. And that and, is yeah. the moment when he smashes the window and Keith David's character's like... Yeah, and that's when like he laughs. Crazy. Right, because then, well, then he's... I don't think he was supposed to smash the bottle. Keith no. smashes the bottle at him, and then Roddy yeah. laughs. Yeah. The bottle, like... But it works. I don't think, break... I think it was a real glass bottle, because he yeah. never... He drops it immediately. It wasn't like one of those, you know, plastic, those, no. like, sugar... Gl- oh, sugar my God, glass. it so works. It works. But it works, because, like, yeah, so it breaks bad. the tension. But then, like, and it's... It, but it... Well, it breaks the tension, but it pisses Frank off even more. So he runs uh-huh. at him, and it keeps building. And so... You you're being told this story um, throughout this fight of like why Roddy or why Nada is so determined to get somebody on side, um, but also like Frank's just like leave me the fuck alone, like I've got a yeah. family and stuff, and I'm you know because Frank never goes really on the offensive. Like often it's sort right. of like go away. He just he, he's always keeping. Nada at a distance. It's not until the end that he really goes on the offensive to like take him out. So it's just really well choreographed. Again, if you watch the special features and you listen to the commentary, like they talk about how like yeah they were just going through stuff like day after day, and like Roddy was turning up to set and going like I've got this idea, we're gonna do this, and then we'll do this, and this other stuff. Like took them days to do this fight scene. Um, and it works. It works brilliantly. It is. It's a classic. Um, so yeah, no, I, I, I just a performance, it's just a great performance. It, um, is, it is exceptional, and I can't recommend it enough. And again, I just think it, if you don't, if you're like, oh, I don't like Carpenter or whatever, like you just give give this a chance, sit with it. It's an old kind of storytelling, it is not, it, but it is art. And again, you like yeah. to think about how good the thing is, and how he sits with stuff and he makes you get to know those people so that it matters later you get to know if you don't get to know frank and nada and the people like you said even that moment like by just having the dad and his daughter at the homeless Mm. camp it changes things when the police come in like they only have two lines but they're there and they're in the background of every scene and you're like oh god so good it's so good it is a good it's amazing so there we go and let's we'll wrap it up on that we say yeah we've talked about go check there's a link down below Go check out eight o'clock in the morning. Um, 100%. It's a, a very short story. But it's fantastic. Well worth checking out. And do go and check out. They live. If you haven't seen it, we've spoiled quite a lot of it. So sorry, but 
still seriously go check yeah. it out like it's <laughs> such a good film available yeah. on physical media available on all the you know you can rent it from prime and all the places i'm but sure it'll be free on tubi in america yeah there you go so go check it out um but yeah so tony Thank that was awesome. What's much. next? What should everybody expect? What next is next? Us? I'm gonna have to check actually because I did write it down. Um, we've got other things and we have to fill some time whilst we're gonna out. visit. No, but I know that on our list eventually we will revisit John Carpenter because the thing I believe is on our list. Is it the not? thing is on our list? Uh, so that'll indeed. be amazing. And so, and I know as I was talking to our good friend your co-host brother from the other mother yeah, yeah. Uh, dr d when i told him about this and told him you were eventually going to do um uh total recall he was like i want to talk to total recall with you guys <laughs> i was like well, we can bring julian on i think because that would be good because you know i'm assuming whenever we get around to total recall we would do the new version because we like we've been doing we'd that have to do all a of remake them. yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah. again we'd have to say unfortunately we'd have to do we'd have to do yeah. did you guys need the money like i don't know your career seemed to be in good shape i don't understand what you were thinking about yeah so it's, what is next next is a, a different pace uh we're going a very different pace we're going to be doing it had to be murder and rear window Ooh. which is possibly one of my favorite alfred hitchcock films it's a good one i mean i i think Boy, that's a tough call. I, I, I almost, I, I was gonna say out loud, it's charade, um, because I think it is. But also, that's no, that's your instant response. It's usually the gut, gut response. Yeah, yeah, good way to go. probably. And I think that's the one everybody forgets about. That was uh, mm-hmm. older Cary Grant and Audrey mm-hmm. Hepburn. Charade is a probably. I'm gonna say it is. I'm gonna say it was charade. But boy, there's lots of good ones to choose from. Okay, so that's what we'll yes. do. We'll be back. Real window. Hitchcock. Yeah, in, in a, that'll be in exciting. A very soon episode. But for now, Tony, thank you very much for coming thank on, talking, uh, and you know, me forcing you to talk. They live. I'm, I'm so Darn, sorry. I know. <laughs> I, I may just have to wait now six months till I watch it again. Yes. But for now, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much. Go check out the Patreon. On the Patreon, we've got loads of other discussions. We're in our sister podcast, Stories Out of Time and Space, where I am joined by Julian and we talk science fiction films. And on the Patreon, we're talking uh, Twilight Zone. I do my 30-minute thoughts, and we've got a whole bunch of other stuff on there. Go check it out. Uh, but for now, thank you, Tony. Thank you, thank everybody you. else. And we'll see you on the next <laughs>